This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. guest with us. We thank you for being here this morning. Uh, we are a family. Uh, as we always say, we, we, we just love God. We love people like Jesus did, and we serve the world because we are his hands and feet. And, and, and as a church, we say our vision is to make, grow, and equip followers of Jesus to fulfill their God-given purpose in life. How many of you want to fulfill your God-given purpose in life? You want to know, you want to, you want to do exactly what you were created to do. And, and here at Church of the Harvest, we do that through building community, which has been a little bit more of a challenge this year, right? But community is necessary. We do it through discipleship, being discipled ourselves and discipling others, and through reaching out to others as well. So if you are, if it is the first time that you have joined us for a service uh, at Harvest, we want you to know that we are excited about you being with us and want to let you know that we are in the 27th week of a 31-week series. How many of you say, that's kind of long? But it's been good, I, I think anyway, maybe I'm partial, I don't know. How many of you would say it's been good going through? Uh, we, are, we are in the 27th week of a series uh, called The Story, and we will be wrapping that up, guys, in four weeks. And so, um, so the story, basically what we did is we started in February in the book of Genesis, and we've been going through the Bible chronologically. We will end in November in the book of Revelation. And, and the whole deal has been, you know, we, we know that so many Christians, they never crack open their Bible outside of Sunday morning. Many people look at it and go, that's a thick book. I'll let the preacher preach it to me. But guys, we need to know the Word of God. We need to understand what God has been up to. What is this whole thing about? It is life to us. It's necessary that we have the Word of God written on the tablets of our heart. That we have it within us. And so we know that it has been all about God's plan. We, we, we want to know what God has been up to, you know, through history, up till now, into the future, and into eternity. But we know that it's all about God's plan to bring humanity back into relationship with him the way he originally intended it, right? Why did God have to bring man, why did God have to do this? How, why did he have to come up with this elaborate plan to bring mankind back into relationship? We know that goes back to the garden, right? The garden of Eden. In the garden, you know, God wanted to have this relationship with humanity, but humanity had to choose God. As we tend to do, our ancestors chose themselves rather than God. They didn't choose to follow his plan. They didn't choose to follow his way. They didn't choose to follow his upper story as we've been, as we've been referring to it. And because of this, man was separated from God. Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, and they were separated from God along with all of their descendants after them. But how many of you know God did not abandon us? God did not give up on us. Uh, guys, it's good news. Seriously. God did not give up on us. The rest of the story, as we went through the Old Testament... The rest of the Old Testament was all about God's plan, providing a way for us to come back to him and have relationship with him again. And so we talked about this, about how God's plan was always on track. It didn't always look like it in the Old Testament. People got off track, but God never got off track. He was always, everything was right on schedule for him. He knew exactly what he was doing. And this was the only way to provide a way back for mankind. So 
finally, as we got to several weeks ago, 2,000 years ago, finally, the chosen one was born to a virgin, right? Named Mary. And we know that he would go on to pay the price for mankind's sin, and he would make the way back to the Father. And so, two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Bob taught on the third week, uh, I'm sorry, the third year of Jesus' three-year ministry. And then, um, and, and in that, uh, he, he basically posed this question. He, he, he focused the message two weeks ago on the question that Jesus asked the disciples. Anybody remember what the question was? Who do you say that I am? And guys, I would present to you that that is the question that is still being asked. That question has resonated throughout all of history. And that's the question that is still echoing in society today. Jesus is saying to all of humanity, who do you say that I am? And the answer to that question changes everything. Last week, um, Pastor Shauna talked, and she talked on the last week of Jesus' life as well as his crucifixion. And she did this, um, this correlation, this comparison between us as humanity and the two thieves who were, who were crucified on either side of Jesus. How many of you know that they had to answer the same question? That's exactly what it was all about. Jesus was right in the middle. They were on either side. The question was, who do you say that I am? One chose to embrace Jesus. The other decided to reject Jesus. It's a picture of us, guys. It's a picture of humanity. That question continues to resonate. It's the same question we have to answer today. Because if we look at it, how does the Bible say that we're saved? We look at Romans 10.9, right? And Romans 10.9 tells us that if we confess Jesus as Lord, is Lord, right? And now what it says, uh, this is exactly, we're answering the question, who do you say that I am? We're confessing that Jesus is Lord. It's just like Peter is the one that responded to, to Jesus when he asked the question, right? And he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're Lord. That's what, that's what Peter was saying. And it's exactly the same thing for us. That's how we're saved. We're answering the question, who do you say that I am? This week, we read about the crucifixion, I'm sorry, the resurrection of Jesus. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Yes, absolutely, guys. And, and it's, it's disheartening because there is a growing movement of people out there today uh, that call themselves Christians, but will say, I believe in Jesus and all that, but I, I, I just don't know. Really, resurrection, rising from the dead? There's a growing number of people who will say, well, well I, I believe in Jesus, but I, I think he was just a really good man. I don't know that he was really God. Or they'll say, I just don't know about that, that virgin birth stuff. I mean, maybe that was just added in there. Maybe that was just the stuff of myths. There are people saying, and you may have heard this, there are people saying they don't believe that Jesus really actually died that that was just written later by the disciples. Guys, you can't separate any one of these things. If you remove any one of these things, the entire Bible is false. Throw it out. It's no good. Each one of these was absolutely necessary. If you remove any one, the entire Bible is invalid. The story doesn't work. The puzzle doesn't fit. It's no good. You've got to believe it all. Jesus 
had to be fully God and fully man. Jesus had to be born of a virgin. Jesus had to live a sinless life. Jesus had to willingly lay down his life. And Jesus had to rise from the dead. It cannot be separated. All these things together are the perfection of God's plan that we've been talking about since February. Remember how last week Sean was talking about um, the significance of the number three throughout the last week of Jesus' life and how in the Bible the number three um, represents completion and wholeness and perfection? Guys, this was it. With the resurrection on day three, God's plan was complete. This, This was it. When, when Jesus said, it is finished, he, he meant it was finished. Amen. It was done. God, and hear me in this. God did everything in that moment that he could ever possibly do for humanity. Amen. He did everything. That he, basically, what, that, what does that mean? That means the ball's in our court now. Everything that happens now is up to us as far as our relationship with God. The price had been paid. The Holy Spirit was on the way. This was it. So I would present to you in that that these last three days of Jesus' life, or let's say the time between his crucifixion and his resurrection, were the most significant days in all of human history. And I, I was thinking, you know, as, as football fans, we, we celebrate, we, okay, y'all know I'm not a football fan. <laughs> Sorry, I'll back off on that. Backtrack. Those of you who are football fans, you have one day of the year that is the biggest game of the year, right? Usually in what, February? What's it called? One big game of the year. The Super Bowl. Guys, this was our Super Bowl. This was it. I think once a year, golfers have a weekend called the Masters Weekend, right? I'm sorry, guys, but this was the Masters Weekend. This was it. And and I'll tell you why. Because the only chance that we would ever have to come back to God, the only chance of having a life beyond what we know in the physical today, ever present with God, the only chance we ever have of hope relied completely completely on Jesus's victory over Satan, sin, death, hell, and the grave. This was the only way to win. So these three days between the crucifixion and the resurrection represented the biggest play of all time. Past, present, and future. Now, the winner of the team of the Super Bowl gets a trophy. What's it called? What, what's, the, what's the trophy called? Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi trophy. That's right. And what, what do people who win the Masters get? Is it that goofy green jacket? Oh, sorry. Sorry. Sorry, God. Who wears green jackets? Oh, I hope nobody here is. 
Um, no. Guys, when Jesus defeated death, hell, sin, and the grave, on that Sunday morning, it wasn't for a trophy or a jacket. It was for you and me. So, I don't have the normal three points for today. Um, I, I, I actually felt led to just go a different direction. Again, I, I want us to just kind of walk through this for the next little bit. And uh, again, I encourage you um, to follow along on the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, on your tablet, or whatever it is you may have. But uh, I'm, I'm going to backtrack just a little bit, and we're going to go back to the last hours of Jesus on the cross again. And so, we look at the timeline and what happened. It all went down on a Friday, right? On Friday at 9 o'clock a.m., we know that Jesus was nailed to a cross. And three hours went by. After three hours, we know the Bible says that darkness, uh, darkness covered all the land. And then another three hours went by. So at this point, Jesus has been hanging on the cross for six hours, right? Can, guys, can we even begin to imagine six hours? I, I was thinking about, I may later on, maybe around Easter, I, I may do, a, we had to do a study back in school on a, a medical perspective of the crucifixion. Um, guys, he was hanging on that cross. They believe that pretty usually when somebody was crucified, their, their shoulders were out of socket, that the only, and thus their diaphragm was crushed, and the only way to breathe was with every breath to push up on that nail in your feet. Push yourself up to take a breath and fall back down. Six agonizing hours of that have gone by. And at the end of six hours, Jesus is in his last minutes. And he suddenly cries out a phrase. The second to last thing that he'll say. He cries out this phrase, and, and we're going to spend, most of this is, we're going to be in Psalm 22 if you're using your Bible today. Um, but I'm going to go to Matthew 27. We're also going to be there uh, for just a little bit. But in Matthew 27, verse 46, the Hebrew was, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Yes, I practice that. If you translate the original, they're, they're, they've got Greek and Aramaic writings of that. If you translate that, both of those, it, basically this is what it says. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I always believed, and, and I do, I, I always believed that when Jesus said these words, he was taking on the sin of the whole world. And in that, that there was a separation from the Father. And let me back that up for just a second by mentioning a couple things. One, do you notice here, what does Jesus call the Father here? It's one of the few places you find Jesus refer to the Father as God. He almost always says, my heavenly Father, the Father, our Father, here, he says, my God. Why does he say my God? I believe that he was speaking from the perspective of his humanity that has now been made sin. 
humanity that is separated from God. He's crying out on behalf of all humanity, lost in their sin. He's not crying out from the perspective of the Son of God, but from the perspective of humanity that's lost its sin. And, and so I believe that in that, in that moment, there was a separation between Jesus and the Father. And this makes sense that Jesus would have to be separated from the Father for a time in order to identify with our sinful condition and to take the penalty for our sin in our place. Uh, what, what, what did God say in the garden? If you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. If you sin, you will surely die, right? Did Adam and Eve drop dead? No. He wasn't necessarily referring to physical death. He was talking about spiritual death. When the Bible refers to death and life, it ta- it's really referring to being present with the Lord. Uh, people quote John 3, 16. God's love the world gives only but son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. Here's the reality. Every human being is going to live forever. The question is, will it be in life or will it be in death? Life, if you translate that, it really means to be present with the Lord. Death is to be separated from the Lord. And let me tell you, I think that's the worst possible thing that could ever happen. I, I believe right now, even for the, I believe even if, if God was to remove his presence from the earth right now, bam, gone, I believe every atheist would know it. If we were suddenly all separated, Guys, Jesus had to be separated to fully identify with our sinful condition. And I believe that because of this, I believe the Father also experienced pain and grief and suffering in this as well. I don't believe he was going, "Ah!" he was separated from his son. He saw what his son just had to endure. Yeah, he knew what was going to happen. I can't imagine it made it any easier. It's kind of like when you have a loved one pass away. It makes it a whole lot easier knowing they're going to be in heaven and that we're going to see them again one day. But man, grief is hard. And I believe the Father had to walk this out in that moment as well. And it reminded me of a hymn. Back in the day when I was a kid, I grew up on Cherry Road. I mean, you know where Cherry Road is. I used to walk each summer. I'd walk over to Cherry Road Baptist Church for vacation Bible school. You went too, didn't you? Yeah. And I remember a couple of the hymns we would sing. Now, look, I I wasn't raised in the Baptist Church, and we didn't sing a whole lot of hymns. But I learned quite a few at Cherry Road Baptist Church. And one of them I remember is how deep the Father's love for us. How many of you remember that? Put the words up on the screen. Y'all sing with me. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only Son to make a wretch his treasure. Next verse. How great the pain of searing loss, The Father turns his face away As wounds which mar the chosen one Bring many sons
ends to glory. Any of you remember that song? I remember singing that in Onward Christian Soldiers and some of those. Yeah. I love it, man. Love it. But guys, this song just, just reminded me of what happened and why. And as I said, I believe the father suffered loss as well. But back to the those words of Jesus. For a long time, I didn't really understand why Jesus said these words. The same together. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why would Jesus say these words? Because here's the reality. Jesus knew the answer. He knew the answer to this question. He knew everything that was going on. He knew what was happening and he knew why. So why in one of his last breaths would Jesus say these words? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For a long time it bothered me a little bit. I thought, huh. Well, we know that Jesus took our sin. The Bible actually says that he was made sin, right? And we know that a holy God cannot associate with sin. But Jesus understood all this. So again, why would he ask the question? Now, we also know that through most of the Old Testament, there, there were very few written scriptures, right? Um, that, that people did not have copies of, their, of the Bible in their home. So what did they do instead? They memorized it. Um, from a time a child, a Jewish child was very young, they were taught to memorize Scripture. It was not uncommon for Jewish children to memorize entire books of the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, we know that many of them memorized the entire Torah, the Pentateuch, the, the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Can you, can you imagine that? <laughs> Somehow I struggle with one scripture. Have five books memorized, not including the Psalms and the Proverbs that they used to sing and had memorized. So this is how they got scripture within them. And so how many of you would say that that sounds like a challenge? Can you imagine? Go, go home and tell your kids today. I want you to memorize the first five books of the Bible. So, this week, though, I was reminded of something, and um, I read something that kind of put this all together for me, and, and, and so let me explain. And when Scripture, as students were being taught Scripture by, uh, by the rabbis, when they were being taught Scripture memorization, um, the, the rabbi would give them hints that would point to their memory work that they, they had been memorizing. And this is a Jewish tradition called Ramez. How many of you have heard of Ramez? It's a, it's a Hebrew word. And the, the, basically, the rabbi would give the first line or the first phrase of what they were to recite. And then the students would continue it. You may have been in a play. You may have, when you were in high school or college, had to recite works. And you got to, how many of you ever got to a point and you couldn't remember the next line? And somebody spoke up and said the next few words for you. And you're like, oh yeah, oh yeah. And then you continue. That was kind of the same concept of, of Ramez. So, so if, we, if we were to practice this, 
say, like right now, I'll recite something that you probably have memorized, and then you say the next line. So if I said, if I was the rabbi and I said, for God so loved the world, you would say, that whosoever believes in him, exactly, understand? This is ramez. And so ramez is a Hebrew word that simply means, it means hint. It's a hint. And this hint pointed, pointed people to what they had memorized or what they were learning. The rabbi would start and the student would finish. I'm going to present to you the idea today that when Jesus said these last words on the cross, I'm going to present to you the thought that he might have been saying a whole lot more than what we see in that. Many scholars believe today that Jesus, the rabbi, that he was actually using this concept of remez on the cross in Matthew 27, verse 46, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Many scholars believe that he may have been actually doing this tradition called remez. I'm going to show you. Now, as I said a minute ago, Jewish children probably had the Psalms memorized because the Psalms are simply a collection of what? Songs. So they grew up singing these songs. They probably had all of them memorized. They had been singing them their entire life. Seems to me a much easier way to learn memorization than maybe memorizing Deuteronomy. Uh, singing it in a song form. But um, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to Psalm 22 with me. And in Psalm 22... Let me, let me set this up. In Psalm, you know, many, if not most of the Psalms, many of them, were written by King David, right? Psalm 22 was written by King David almost a thousand years before Jesus was crucified on the cross, okay? So this passage from Psalm 22 was written almost a thousand years earlier by King David. So let's read verse 1 of Psalm 22 together. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Guys, look it up. It's exactly the same words. Coincidence? Mm, I don't think so. I'm going to show you why. I'm going to show you. It's very possible that when Jesus said those words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's very possible that Psalm 22 immediately came to the minds of every Jew present. And we're going to go through the rest of the chapter here over the next few minutes. And I think it's going to blow your mind. So if Jesus said those words and immediately Psalm 22 jumped into their mind, they might have automatically, within, even if it was just within themselves, they might have begun reciting the next few lines. Yeah, you, you've seen that before. Somebody says something, it's a line from a song, and you find yourself kind of humming the next, the next few lines. Look at the next few lines. So if we look at it, what does Psalm 22 say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. 
Again, I believe Jesus was crying out on behalf of humanity, absolutely and utterly lost in its sin. But if the Jews knew the words to this, and if they continued on down a few more scriptures and got to verse, um, verse 7, where David sang, he sang verse 7 and he said, All who see me mock me, they hurl insults, shaking their heads. Guys, if the Jews got that far along over the, over the next, you know, 20, 30 seconds to that line and that song, they would have gone, wait a minute, that's what's been happening. They're standing at the foot of the cross. Look at Matthew chapter 27, verse 39. This is written from the foot of the cross. It says, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. Almost word for word, guys. You imagine if they got there and like, wait a minute, that's what's been going on right here. Let's keep going. The next verse, verse 8, David sings, He trusts in the Lord, they say, let the Lord rescue him. Guys, they had just heard these words. Look at Matthew chapter 27, verse 43, back at the cross. The people were passing by and said, He trusts in God, let God rescue him now. Coincidence? Let's keep going. If they got down to verse 15, verse 15 of this song of David said, My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. Now, what in the world is a potsherd? One of them words in the Bible. I had to look it up. It simply means a dried out piece of clay or, or pottery. We know in John 19, 28, right before the end, Jesus for the third time says, I'm thirsty. Guess what the next verse is in Psalm 22? In verse 16, verse 16 of Psalm 22 says, they pierce my hands and feet. Are, are, are y'all seeing this? Are you putting it together? Jesus sang the first line. The Jews knew what all the rest of the lines were. And you may look at that in Psalm, in, yeah, in Psalm 22, verse 16, you may look at that and think, well, look, that was just written by David. But guys, there's no evidence that David's hands or feet were ever pierced. We don't see that in Scripture. I believe he was prophetically speaking of the Messiah that was to come. And so again, the Jews standing there would have gone, this is, what, this is what's just happened before our eyes. We, 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 we're, we're seeing this play out in front of us. And then they would have come two verses down, verse, Psalm 22, verse 18. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. Guys, this was written a thousand years earlier. They're standing there. Some of them may have been kind of humming this tune, tune to themselves, remembering these words because Jesus had started it. They cast lots for my garments. They would have said, these guys over here were just doing that. And we know it in Mark 15, 24. It says, and they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. Guys, many scholars believe that this was very intentional. That Jesus was giving one last message to the Jews. He was ramezing, 
with them. He's giving them a hint that's pointing them back to their memorization. By starting off with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's leading them to kind of the the fuller story of everything they've witnessed and everything they have learned. He's showing them the fulfillment of all the prophecy they've been taught their entire lives about the coming Messiah. He's pointing them to a psalm that was written a thousand years earlier and perfectly described everything that had just happened before their eyes. So we've talked about the upper story and the lower story. The lower story is how we view things and our lower perspective, how we see things, what we feel. And then we've talked about God's upper story and how he's using his, what's happening in the earth to weave his purposes and plans through it. Well, in the lower story, it would appear that the Jews and the Romans have conspired together to kill the Messiah. But guess what? In the upper story, it was God's plan. They played right into it. They did exactly what needed to be done. Jesus was hanging there on the cross as the Messiah. Israel, I'm sorry, um, Isaiah called him the suffering servant. So he is fulfilling prophecy. And so I, I, I'm at a place where I, I don't believe, I, I do believe that when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I, I do believe that he is crying out on behalf of, of, like I say, sinless, lost humanity. But I believe for him as the son of God, this was not a cry of despair. I believe it was the cry of fulfillment of prophecy. And before I start closing out, interestingly, the, the psalm does not end there. And, and, and the people would have known that. And, and as so many of the psalms do, if you've spent any time in the psalms, you know that some of David's psalms can be pretty heavy. I mean, they're, wow. Oof. Some of them you read through and you're like, Lord Jesus, help us. I mean, he, he is in a tough place right there. But... As many of the Psalms do, Psalm 22, about halfway through, it kind of begins to shift. And it turns into this declaration of praise for deliverance. And so we're going to read a few scriptures here. Psalm 22, verses 22 through 24. Here's what it goes on to say. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. Look at this. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Guys, a lot of people teach, I've heard a lot of people teach that God actually, the Father turned his face away from Jesus. That's actually not in Scripture. Um, I, I do believe there had to be a separation. It's actually, I think that actually comes from a hymn. Um, I believe it might be the one we just sang, actually. But um, I, I don't believe that Jesus was necessarily forsaken in the way that we think of it. The Father knew what was going to happen. He knew Jesus had paid the price. He knew that Jesus would be resurrected, but yet he had to be separated from the Father in order to identify with our sinful state. He had to suffer our punishment, right? So, again, there's this time of separation. Jesus knew that he would soon be delivered from death and that nothing would ever be the same. I believe that, that Jesus in this, in this psalm, as, as, 
as Jesus had started it. I believe Jesus is referring to deliverance uh, from death. He's referring to the resurrection. I, I think he's saying, guys, look, in, in, in three days you're going to see me again. Death will be defeated. I'll be delivered from this and what you're seeing. And so as we get to the end, we know that before Jesus died, he cries out one more thing in those last few minutes. What were the last words of Jesus? It is finished. In John 19, verse 30, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, it is finished meant that the work was complete. And the, the single, the Greek word that we, that we translate, it is finished, is tetelestai. And we know this word because they have uncovered um, uh, papyrus writings from back in the day of Jesus that were actually receipts for taxes paid. And they would have stamped on it this word, tetelestai. And it meant paid in full. Amen. And that is what we're translating, it is finished. So guys, when we read about God's plan, back on, in the very first or second week of this series, when we started, we were talking about the garden. Remember when the man and the woman and the serpent were standing before God and he was declaring judgment? And he points to the serpent and he says, as for you, he said, there's a war coming. And he said, the war will be between you and this woman's offspring. And when the time comes, he tells the serpent, he says, you're going to bruise his heel. But he's going to crush your head. This is it, guys. This is it. But there was more. Psalm 22, in verse 31, the crowds knew how Psalm 22 ended. And here's what verse 31 says. If they made it to the very end, in those moments, as Jesus was hanging on the cross, it says, they will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Who are the people yet unborn? Somebody raise your hand. I wasn't born back then. I mean, some of us may be old, but I don't think anybody here is that old. It's referring to us. David is saying there's, there's going to be a day like today when people who aren't yet born will be born. And they're going to stand up and they're going to declare the anointed one, the chosen one, the suffering servant. They're going to... They're going to testify to his righteousness and his victory. And you notice those last words, the entire psalm finishes with, he has done it. Now, sounds kind of familiar, but the Hebrew word here that's, <coughs> excuse me, that's translated, he has done it, it's the Hebrew word, hasah, and it means to complete it can also be translated, it is finished. Do you know that Jesus' last words were reciting the first line and the last line of Psalm 22? Coincidence? I don't think so, folks. I don't think so. Jesus, the rabbi, was hanging on the cross, and I think he was teaching one last time. He remezzes with them. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He ends it 
saying, it is finished. He recites the first line and the last line in his dying breaths. And we know that in that last line of Psalm 22, it says that future generations would declare his righteousness and that he completed his mission. Making a way for all of humanity to come back to the Father. Guys, on Sunday morning, the tomb was empty. And as John the Baptist called him, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world was very much alive. And the Bible says that he held the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He conquered it. So, here's the good news. As a believer, as a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, because of that, God will never forsake you. Because the Bible says that all that believe in their heart that Jesus is the Messiah and confess with their mouth that God raised him from the dead, John chapter 1 verse 12 tells us that you have the right to be called a child of God. And because you're a child of God, the scripture applies to you when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. So I don't know where you may be at in your life today, but you may feel like God's not with you. But he hasn't left you. He's still there with arms open wide. You may have wandered. It doesn't matter how far away you've wandered. His arms are open wide. And if you turn around, you'll find that he's right behind you. He's waiting for your embrace. All we have to do is receive him as our Lord. Guys, we'll start talking next week about the early church and about the Gentiles. But for the Jews that were present at the cross, I believe that many of them were in for a rude awakening in the last words of Jesus. And we know that in that moment there was an earthquake. And we know that even the centurion who had overseen the crucifixion of Jesus said, we messed up. This guy was surely the son of God. He wasn't even Jewish. Guys, for the first time, as we've been going through since January, since February, for the first time, the Jews have a way back to the Father. It's been almost 4,000 years, maybe more. What did this mean? What does this look like? We're going to talk more about it next week. But... I want to end with something a little different because I want you guys, most of you here have been, you've stuck with us through the entire Old Testament this year. You've seen what this plan looked like. You've seen how every step of the way, every single week, everything in the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus. Everything was pointing to this moment. And so I'm going to play a video and um, we're going to, we're going to play it on through on the live stream. I don't know if we'll have copyright issues. We'll deal with that later if we have to. But I posted this on Facebook a few weeks ago. It was actually Miss Nydia that sent me this. There's Miss Nydia. 
And I, I had posted it. She sent it to me, and, and I posted it because just over a year ago, there were 19 of us that got to visit Israel last year. And um, so glad we got to do it last year. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Um, but you guys will probably recognize this song. <laughs> the entire video is in Hebrew. With, and, it, and it's filmed all over, all over Jerusalem. But I want you guys to just meditate on this for a few minutes. I want you to think on what God did. I want you to think about his plan stretched out over a good 4,000-year period, culminating in this moment that means the difference in everything for you. Your eternity changed because of this moment. You may recognize a few words from this song. You may want to sing along. It's a, it's a new song that just, just came out recently, but um, there, there's a few words in it that are, are the same in Hebrew as they are in English. So um, let's, let's watch this. Let's watch this together before we close. Who 
that song know it's called the blessing and you may remember we studied a few weeks into this series about God telling Abraham that all the nations of the earth will be blessed by his offspring and this is the fulfillment of it and we know that it wasn't just for the Jew how many of you in here would say thank God for that Let's all stand together. Let's all just close our eyes. We're going to close out in just a moment. Just bear with me for just a couple more seconds here. Just a few more minutes here. Guys, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. hate to break it to you if you've been misinformed, but there's no other way to the Father except through Him. The Bible tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short. We all have. As I'd like to say, it wasn't just Adam or Eve's fault. If it wasn't them, I would have done it. I'd have messed it up. We have all sinned and fallen short. And the only way is to go through Jesus. And let me tell you guys, he went through a lot. We've been looking at a 4,000 year plan so that you could come back to the Father. That's some, that's some stick with itness right there. Seriously. Some of us had a hard time sticking with something for an hour. God stuck with it for over 4,000 years so that you could come back to him. 
with every head bowed. Guys, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you right now. I'm going to plead with you. Please don't wait another day. Please. It's not time to put something like that off. This is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. And, and look, I'm not just talking about saying a prayer. I ask people, are, are, are you a believer? Are you a follower of Jesus? People will say, yeah, I was baptized when I was six. You didn't answer my question. Are you a follower of Jesus? Well, I think I prayed a prayer in vacation Bible school when I was five. You didn't answer the question. Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? Have you ever come to the place where you repented of your sin, truthfully, honestly, with all your heart, that you declared that he was Lord? You believed that he died in your place and was resurrected after three days, and you made the decision to follow him all the days of your life. Have you made that decision? With every head bowed, if that's you, and you would say, I've got to make a change today. Guys, I don't, I don't care. You may just recognize that you need to surrender your life afresh and anew to Jesus today. If there's anybody in here that would say, I need Jesus, I'm not going to call you up. I'm not going to bring you down front. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand. Not for me, but for you. Anybody in this place? Anybody watching online? We're going to pray a prayer. And the Bible says, look, look, guys, it's not so much about the words. It's not a formula. It's about believing in your heart and surrendering your life. It's about repentance. It's about giving up control and allowing him to be master and Lord. If you pray this prayer... The Bible says that if you mean it, if you truly repent, if you truly make Jesus Lord, that you become a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things become new. No, it doesn't mean that all your problems are going to go away. But it does mean that the creator of the universe is going to have your back. He's going to be your coach. He's going to be your father. He's going to be encouraging you step by step saying, you have got this. We're going to tackle it together. When you slip and fall, you're going to see that he's going to be standing right there with his hand saying, come on, grab my hand, let's get back up. You're going to be all right. It'll change everything for you. You'll find that you have hope that you never had before. If that's you and you need to pray this prayer, let's just all pray together. Let's just all pray it together. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I recognize that I have lived my life my own way. I've lived out of my own selfishness. I've fulfilled my own desires. I haven't let anyone tell me what to do. But I also recognize I've been an utter failure. I recognize I need Jesus. And so Jesus, I declare that you're Lord. You are Lord of my life from this point onward. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I believe that you willingly laid down your life for me. You took my punishment that I deserved. You did it in my place. And I love you for it. 
I believe that you didn't stay in that tomb, but you were resurrected on the third day. And today you're my advocate. You're my high priest. And I give you my trust. Holy Spirit, fill me and empower me to be everything you've called me to be. And I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll-free at 866-383-8277.